is the first day of December. We're still rebounding from Thanksgiving, which only like two or three days ago. They say snow's coming. I believe when I see it. Thanksgiving was three days ago. Today is December 1st. So it's time to officially enter into the Christmas season. All right. So all those who say that it's too early to do some of these things, you can't say that anymore. It's December. So all things Christmas can happen now. Without shame or guilt, let us be praised. All right. There we go. So yesterday we went out and got our Christmas tree. It was like a Walmart Black Friday sale at that place. I'm telling you. I've never seen that many people trying to get a Christmas tree. And and we've gone this place for years. I actually bought some gifts already. I, um, that's unusual. I don't usually do that until later in the week or later in the month even. And, um, I started listening to Christmas music. Actually, I cheated. I started that on last Wednesday. So that was still November. Please forgive me. All right. Those of you, please forgive me. I know who I'm talking to. You know who I'm talking to. We're talking to each other right now. All right. Thank you very much. All right. So, um, and one of my most favorite, favorite Christmas things, Christmas songs is this one right here. Enjoy this for a few moments. Crank it up, please. I'm not going to preach. We're just going to listen to that, all right? I would really love that. Amen. Thank you very much. All right. What I'm getting from that is we agree in our music taste. That's what I'm really getting from that. All right, good. That is only a short excerpt of Handel's Messiah. George Frederick Hendrick Handel wrote the Messiah in 1741. It took him 24 days to write that. And at the end of the manuscript, Handel wrote SDG, Soli Dio Gloria, to God alone the glory. And most, if not all, the text was taken from Scripture. It's an extended reflection on Jesus as the Messiah, um, as he's called the Christ. And the text begins in part one with prophecies about uh, primarily from Isaiah and others. But, and then it moves into the Annunciation of the Shepherds. And then it goes into the Gospels. And Handel concentrates on the Passion and, with the, and then ends in the Hallelujah Chorus. And then in the third part, he covers the resurrection of the dead and Christ's glorification in heaven. It's considered the, the most well-known composition of Handel's. And there is a sing-along at Princeton Chapel that's next Monday night at 7.30. If you want to go with me, I'd love to have you join me. I'm going to be there, all right? I can't imagine getting to sit in, in Princeton Chapel. I've been there for some of Emma's concerts. It is just stunning to be there. But then to get to go there and sing this, I mean, what else could you do on a Monday night? You know what I mean? 
A lot of you have other plans, I know. All right. So, to read that portion, open up your Bibles to Isaiah 9, verse 6. Actually, we're going to start in verse 2, and we're going to read our way through, okay? Isaiah 9, verse 2. I'm reading from the New American Standard. And this is exactly what Jared read a minute ago, but you cannot read this too much. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And thou shalt multiply the nation. Thou shalt increase their gladness. They will be glad in thy presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou shalt break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult, the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. Verse 6. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. And from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you inspired Isaiah to write such amazing words. That you inspired, maybe not divinely like Scripture, but Handel to write such glorious music that you sent your son who is wonderful, who is our counselor, who is a mighty God, an eternal father, a prince of peace. This morning we pause to worship you, to exalt you in our hearts and among us as a family. May you receive all the glory and the honor, all the praise that is due you. We lift you up in our presence here today, for you are indeed wonderful. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Isaiah was a prophet approximately 700 years before Christ was born. His ministry is thought to expand to, to go over 64 approximate years. And much of his, as many prophets did in the Old Testament, as much as his prophecies spoke of judgment and condemnation for the sin and the disobedience of the nation, it also spoke of hope. It declared what was to come. It declared that there was something more, that there was deliverance that was on its way. And most of us are familiar with the text from Luke or with Matthew where we read of Mary, a young girl who's promised in marriage to a young man named Joseph. And Mary learns from an angel that she will have a child and even though she is a virgin 
and that that child is from God. And our passage today is among a handful of verses that point to that child 700 years before he is born. But the verse doesn't just say a child will be born. It tells what that child is like. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Ever Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. In the next few weeks and during our time here and our preaching time, we are going to be looking at who Christ is through the eyes of Isaiah and his prophecy and how he foretold Jesus' coming. Today, in our verse, we're going to be looking at the very first thing he says in verse 6, where he says, and he, his name will be Wonderful Counselor. Now, your Bible might have that in there in one of two ways. It might have it as in Wonderful Counselor, or it might have it as in Wonderful, comma, Counselor. The difference is really just depending upon the translation that you might have, but the difference is is also, it goes from being one title, wonderful counselor, where the wonderful describes the type of counselor he is, or the more correct translation would be that there are two titles, that he is wonderful, that he is a counselor. In the Old Testament, names are commentary on one's character or attributes, or the essence of the person's being. And that is exactly what we have in verse 6 here, where these titles are describing the character and the essence of who Jesus is, or who he will be. Actually, he was already that way. They just didn't know him yet, because he was eternal. Amen? Okay, some of y'all are getting that. Y'all get that about as well as you do clapping. Yeah, I know, I know. That was, that was a great effort, Jared. Keep it up, buddy, all right? Adrian Rogers, a renowned Southern Baptist preacher from days gone by, shares the story of a blind man on a train. He speaks of a man noticed a man looking out the window on a train, and as they went past the landscape, and it was beautiful landscape, but that the man kept saying, wonderful, it's wonderful. And he'd pause, and he'd look for a while, and he would wipe tears from his eyes, and he would say, wonderful. And the man's curiosity was aroused, and he, he went over and he sat by this, this man by the window, and he said, I've never seen anyone enjoy a train ride quite as much as you. Can you tell me what's so wonderful about it? And he said, sir, you don't understand. I've just had surgery, and I've been without sight for years and years and years, and now I'm seeing things I've long forgotten. I've forgotten how blue the sky is and how green the grass is and how beautiful the trees are. How bright the flowers are. He says, it's wonderful. It's all so wonderful. And he goes on, he says, I prayed to God today that he will open our blinded eyes, that we may see how wonderful Jesus is and how wonderful everything is about him. Jesus is indeed wonderful, he says. Everything about him is wonderful. His birth is wonderful. His life was wonderful. His works are wonderful. His words are wonderful. His death is wonderful. His resurrection is wonderful. His ascension is wonderful. His intercession for us is wonderful. His coming again is wonderful. The Hebrew word that is used for wonderful here means a miracle, a marvel, a marvelous thing or something extraordinary, unusual or astounding, which causes a sense of great amazement. 
It was always used in a context of God's acts and words, except for one exception in Leviticus. But David wrote in Psalm 139, verse 129, he said, Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul observes them. And consider the sample of Old Testament references to the character of Christ. Herbert Lockyer, he calls this the forecast of Jesus. And so in Job 42.3, he says, Who is he? The two things are wonderful for me, is what Job says. And he's been confronted by God. In Psalm 119.129, that thy testimonies are wonderful. In Psalm 139.6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Thou hast done wonderful things in Isaiah 25. The Lord of hosts is a wonderful in counsel, Isaiah 28. And his name shall be called wonderful in our text today, Isaiah 9. And then he says, those are the forecasts of who Jesus is. He goes, now look at the wonder of Jesus in the New Testament. In Matthew 21, the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and all bear witness and wondered at the gracious words of him in Luke 4. And Jesus of Nazareth, a man of God, approved by God and by his wonders, Acts 2. Acts 4 again, wonders by thy name, thy holy, tri- holy child Jesus. How worthy he was of the name wonderful. Because he was in himself what his name implied, truly wonderful. He was wonderful in his character, the marvel being that others came because others became repentant and were converted under his influence. He himself never had anything to repent of. He was wonderful in his life because of its purity and plan and saving plan that brought about his death and resurrection. Another commentator wrote, wonderful indicates that Jesus exceeds the limits of human understanding and transcends the boundaries of human existence and power. Quoting Adrian Rogers again, he said, Jesus is wonderful. Everything about him is. Everything about him is. But Isaiah also gives the future Messiah the title of counselor. The term keeps with the idea of a name that describes character. So Jesus will be a counselor. It embodies the idea of the perfect wisdom of the future Messiah would manifest, having come as the personification of divine wisdom. The word just really means what it says. It means he was to give counsel and advice and to guide. You think about in Isaiah 40 where there's this taunting that is happening, where it says, you know, look at these idols. In Isaiah 40, verse 14, it says, and with whom did God consult? He's like going, who told God how to do all these things? Because your God had to be created. You made your God, but who counseled our God? No one did. No one had to give him advice. No one had to guide him. No one had to tell him it might work better if you did it this way. He did not need that. Because in being wonderful, he did not need any further counsel than what existed in him. This week, I read the brief biography of Cary Grant. And it told of how many counselors he had met with through the years, especially in the 50s. 
And some who in the time in, in the 50s, you know, were using LSD to try and treat psychosis and mental health issues to help them overcome inner turmoil. And he went through numerous of them. And he's not alone in his pursuit to find answers that dog so many of us. He's not alone, not only in our time, but through all history. There are constant claims of all sorts of people, many who truly want to help others, but so few are able to give lasting, transformative change to the lives, to us, but to people's lives. Look at our world. We have never been more technologically advanced than we are today. And yet with all of that knowledge, it has not bridged the gaps that separate us and divide us. Those gaps still result in injury and insult and even death. So we might be smarter, but we've never solved the deepest problems that have plagued us ever since we were expelled from the garden. But Jesus, he is that counselor who provides the guidance and the wisdom to navigate this life and all of those gaps between us. Again, quoting Herbert Lockyer, he said, problems and perplexities arise that seem to be insoluble, but we have a counselor who can explain all the enigmas of life. And Isaiah says further in chapter 11, verse 2, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. When we think about our lives and we think about all, as Lockyer said, all the enigmas of our life, do we not long for answers? Do we not long for some place to look that would give us peace, that would give us hope that would help us to draw our eyes off of all the waves of life, off of all the darkness of life. What did the passage start? It says, and, and there will be a light, it said. It talked about being a light. For those who live in a dark land, a light will shine upon them. That light is the counsel, the wisdom of Christ in a dark place when we don't know how to fix all the things that are going on around us. And when we feel like that there is, there is no hope in this life, he says there is a light, and that light is the hope of Christ. It is the wisdom of Christ that guides us, that counsels us, that leads us through every circumstance. Mary was told that she would have a child And it was explained to Joseph that the child would save the people from their sins. And the angels burst from the darkness on the night sky to tell the lowly shepherds that they had good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. And his name shall be Wonderful. Someone wrote of the title of Wonderful like this, a phenomenon lying outside the realm of human explanation that separates the normal course of events. Jesus did that. He was a phenomenon outside the realm of human explanation that separated the normal course of events. 
It's interesting how David wrote in Psalm 139 that we referenced earlier that such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I cannot obtain it. And in that case, he was speaking of God, in that case specifically of God forming a child in the womb. But does it not apply? Is it not just that? But is it, is it not that his counsel and his wonderfulness, that's a word, but his wonderfulness is just too much for our brains to absorb, too much for our brains to say, I understand that. But instead, we are like Isaiah even earlier than this, or even in, in this same book where he says, he, when he was confronted with God's wonder, when the holiness of God, he goes, I am a man undone because he saw something he could not explain and he saw something that he knew he could not fit into if it wasn't for another plan that God had. And that plan was he would always make the provision to redeem us to himself. He would always make the provision. He would always guide us from being in that darkness to being able to step into that light And it was always through this wonderful, this counselor, it was always through Jesus that he would make a way that we would understand, that we would be able to step into a relationship with him. That is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I cannot attain it. None of us can. His name shall be wonderful. His name shall be counselor. Even the best counselors disappoint. They will fail you at some time or another. They will give bad advice. They will fail to properly assess your situation maybe. They'll retire. They might die. But Jesus, the counselor, he knows the very intent of your heart. He understands it better than you do. He understands the deepest, most secret places of your heart. That hurt of your heart that you've never spoke of. Those wounds of your heart that you cannot reach to. He knows all of that. He knows the darkness there, the anger, the vengeance, the bitterness, the sorrow, the sadness. And he loves you and wants to comfort you right where you are. He does not need you to change. He does not need you to clean yourself up. He wants to come and enter into your mess right where you are. Just as it is. And from there, begin to speak about guiding you from those places into the light that he speaks of in this chapter. He is a counselor that will not retire or die. He will not fail you. His word and spirit are alive and well and at work 24-7. They never take a day off. They are always there to serve and guide us. So this morning... While I think that I just might be trying in my very best to present you with the text and the person of Christ and to ask you, have you been caught by his wonder? 
I point you not to my words, but to his word and to this passage. And to a child will be born, a son will be given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there shall be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with righteousness and justice from then and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Let's pray. You are truly wonderful. And my mind, as David said centuries ago, cannot fully comprehend it or attain it. This morning, Father, at very best, my words are weak and frail, but the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of your word are more than a match for us. So may these words from Isaiah, inspired and empowered by your Holy Spirit, affect our hearts. May these words from Isaiah linger in our hearts. May we be confronted in the days to come with you being wonderful, with you being that perfect counselor. And may we find ourselves in awe of you, in wonder of you. And may we worship you in a a way that is right and fitting to worship you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.